Thanks to the people who have started leaving me text messages with the new feature. But remember, it's a one-way medium, so please include your email address or any other way of getting back in touch with you. Or, if you'd like to leave me voicemail, just go to the website at bookkeepermensch.com, scroll down a little bit on the main page, and leave me voicemail. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Paul Rosenblum is a bookkeeper, not an accountant or a CPA. Although the information in this podcast comes from professionals, it's meant to give you enough knowledge about these subjects to have a meaningful dialogue with your tax preparer about bookkeeping and taxes. Welcome to another episode of the Not Boring, Boring Small Business Bookkeeping and Accounting Podcast. I'm ramping it up for tax season, Paul Rosenblum. I know that I've been speaking about the 1099 situation in recent episodes, but today I promise not to. We have other things to talk about, specifically things that I see every day running my practice and being involved in putting together my clients' books. I can talk about tax rules and bookkeeping theories all day long, but one of the best ways of learning and applying to your particular situation is to hear about what others are doing. So I put together a short list of things that I have run into recently as it gets busier and busier leading up to tax season that I've seen some clients do. Question, how many credit cards does your business have? I have several clients who have multiple credit cards that they use for business transactions and occasionally non-deductible personal expenses as well. I've asked some clients as to why they have so many credit cards. The most common answer is that they want points on one credit card, travel miles on another, cash back on a third, and good shopping rewards on others. I have one client who has seven, yes, seven credit cards, three Amexes, and four Citibank cards. Each one is between a half a page and three pages long, but since I have to log in to different websites to gather all of these statements and print them out before I enter them, sometimes it actually takes me longer to log in to the individual websites and do what I have to do than it does for me to actually enter the transactions. If you have a similar situation, try and cut down to one or two business credit cards and one or two personal credit cards that you use 100% for personal expenses so your bookkeeper doesn't need to see how you spend your personal money. Remember, bookkeepers read every expense line on every credit card and bank account. So if you don't want your bookkeeper to know where you buy your underwear, for an example. No, no, no. Use a business credit card for your business and your personal credit card 100% for personal expenses. Sometimes I think I know too much about my clients, and it's a bit scary. I have several clients who don't feel comfortable giving me access to their bank accounts for the business, 
and access to the credit card accounts. And I explained to them that if I don't have access, then they are responsible for sending me the statements as they come out every month. I might not get them done as promptly as they might want, but at least they will be in my queue. Inevitably, though, clients will forget to send the statements, and I'm busy working on the statements that I do have access to, only to have them forgotten about. In October or November, they realize that they haven't sent me anything since April. I then receive seven bank statements and seven credit card statements in email. And once I have them, the client wants to be brought up to date ASAP, meaning yesterday. This adds stress to my life. And the last person you want to stress out is your bookkeeper. You don't want your bookkeeper rushing through and making possible mistakes. So BGTYB, in other words, be good to your bookkeeper, BGTYB. That's the lesson here. I have another client who runs a U.S. S corporation for several years and now lives overseas. There are specific IRS laws and laws in other countries about where taxes are filed and paid. If you live in a country over a certain amount of days per year, even as an American citizen, then you might have to pay taxes in that country and the U.S. if you are making money abroad. If my client has a U.S. corporation, are the meals and restaurants that the owner goes to overseas counted as local meals or travel meals on a U.S.-based tax return? There are accountants who specialize in these kinds of matters, and they shouldn't be ignored. In this case, the CPA here in the U.S. doesn't really know what specifically to do and ask the client to hire an international accountant overseas so that they can advise them on what to do. But all of us still aren't on the same page. I've been told just to assume, at least for now, that the U.S. corporation is going to file in the U.S. and that we aren't responsible filing abroad. The client has been advised. If you have a situation like that, don't wait until the last minute to figure out what to do. Find out now so that you can prepare the paperwork and who and where you will be filing taxes. I have been a bookkeeper and a bookkeeping trainer for many years, and I feel strongly about a new business owner doing their own bookkeeping for a few months before they sit down with a bookkeeper and go over all the errors. But once in a while, I have a client who wants to do their own bookkeeping with me overseeing it on a monthly basis. Because of the number of clients that I do bookkeeping for, and I am almost always behind somewhat, I welcome the client who wants to do their own bookkeeping in-house or hire someone to do the bookkeeping in-house. However, I've had a recent situation where a client of mine who I've been doing the bookkeeping since 2014 decided to go to QuickBooks Online and wanted to change the system of his bookkeeping. His idea was to have it done through the online version so that daily bookkeeping could be done so he can have accurate numbers at any given time. 
That made perfect sense to me. I didn't and don't have the bandwidth for daily bookkeeping, so I converted the desktop file into the online QuickBooks system. He was using an outside third-party payroll company, but now with QBO, he wanted to use their version of payroll. He did this without telling me or his accountant, and not surprisingly, it was set up incorrectly from the very beginning. The first month that they were taking over, they didn't know what to do with the payroll entries that were downloaded directly from the bank. I explained to them that what was supposed to happen is that when the payroll was done every two weeks, the payroll module exports the taxes and each employee's paycheck or direct deposit to the actual QuickBooks database. And in theory, the downloaded information directly from the bank should match the exported payroll information automatically. After a Zoom session, I noticed that however they set up payroll, that wasn't happening. The employees were getting paid, but the payroll was downloaded from the bank and not from the actual payroll software. I will fix it at the end of the year so that next year it should work fine, but I don't like to make changes to payroll in the middle of the year that could affect the W-2 situation. So I spent about an hour and a half figuring out where the payroll transactions were in the downloads. It ends up that they were excluded, so I didn't see them immediately. So I brought them back, accepted them into the database, and was then able to reconcile the bank account. I called the owner and asked if the person who he had hired to do this was actually a bookkeeper. And not surprisingly, he said, no, he isn't. As I have spoken about in other episodes, this is one of the differences between traditional bookkeeping and computerized bookkeeping. The bookkeeper, and I say this in quotes, has to know bookkeeping as well as the functionality in the bookkeeping software. Business owners think it's easy and you can hire someone for less than self-employed bookkeepers charge or in-house bookkeepers for that matter, put them on a payroll as an employee with lots of other duties and include bookkeeping as just one of those duties. It actually hurts me to see the profession that I have been in for so many years changing in this dramatic way. But as usual, I digress. And the last thing I want to talk about today is something that I have heard on other business podcasts, and that is, if you're a bookkeeper, when do you walk away from clients? And if you're a client, when do you walk away from your tax preparer? As a bookkeeper, the easy answer is that if the client wants to do something illegal and either tells you about it or you see it in the books, it's time to walk away. However, that's not the only reason why a bookkeeper might walk away from a client. Sometimes it has to do with how demanding the client is, or the personality of the client, or even if that client is a very slow payer, although they seem to take four vacations a year and stay at five-star hotels. Whatever the reason, it's the single hardest thing for me personally to do is to walk away from a client. 
when I start with a new client, it takes me a week or two of thinking and getting my head around the company and forming a bond with that company's bookkeeping. Very few bookkeepers are like me, but every set of books that I put together, there is an emotional attachment that I have to those books, even if I didn't create them. So when I occasionally walk away from a client, even for exactly the right reasons, it's still a very difficult emotional experience for me. A client walking away from an accountant or a tax preparer is also a very tough decision. You want to try and walk away for the right reasons. Don't walk away just because your tax liability is more than you thought it was going to be. Don't walk away because of emotion or anger. If you told your accountant that you do not want to be on extension and you sent all the paperwork well in advance of the deadline and you were still put on extension, then that's a good reason. Remember, your accountant or tax preparer works for you, not the other way around. If you have a question for your accountant either during tax season or even in July or August, and you can't reach them because they're out of the country for six weeks, that would be a good reason to look for someone else. Your accountant is almost your financial therapist. You should be having quarterly conversations with them about the amount of payroll you are taking for yourself if you are an S-Corp, or quarterly estimates that you should be paying, or any unincorporated business taxes for LLCs, for an example, that you can pay estimates on. If your tax preparer isn't available or doesn't return your phone call, then it might be time to move on. In a prior episode, I talked about what auditors look for in an IRS audit. I've recently had a client that was audited for two years at the same time, which is kind of rare, and the IRS found a few things that he wasn't being compliant with the tax code, and so he got audited again for the next year. Even after I told him for years and years that he needs to document everything carefully and keep receipts, the client still did not comply. When do I walk away from him? It wouldn't be ethical to walk away in the middle of an audit, but when it's over and things settle down, knowing that he will most likely get audited again, I should walk away even though bookkeepers are not liable legally for wrongdoings of an owner of a company. But even in this circumstance, it's still very, very hard for me to take that plunge by walking away from a client. For the foreseeable future, I am going to keep a list of situations that happen in my practice and convert them to episodes on this podcast. This is a time of the year that I meet more people and with that come face to face with bookkeeping and accounting situations that have to be dealt with to get the books up to date and ready for an accurate tax filing. As I have said before, tax season for busy bookkeepers starts in October and goes through at least the very beginning of April. Some days, I wish I just had one company to do the books for. I take a vacation right after January 31st, but nope, 
that's not the bus route I got on. Sometimes I feel like I got on a runaway subway. It never seems to slow down around here. As you get ready for Thanksgiving, I am feverishly getting books ready for the official tax season that starts in January and lasts three and a half months. Until next time, I'm laser-focused on bookkeeping. Paul Rosenblum.